right, this is the Modern Magi Podcast. We are your hosts, Tyler Fry and Meshach Canyon. And today we will be um, doing something a little bit different. Usually our podcast episodes are based on topics, but today we will be analyzing a Bible story. And that Bible story is the Gerasene Demoniac. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the story, this story takes place in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, verses 1 through 21 or 20. Um, I always get those two confused. But anyways, um, this is the story we're going to be talking about um, just because it has so many things to unfold um, within the story. Um, the story itself is something I've, I remember reading it for the first time, was just blown away by it. Um, and I took the story's seriously for like the first time when I was a junior in college so yeah so we're not going to read uh read it for you but uh here's a summary of it uh Jesus is uh in a boat and he goes to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes which is a Gentile uh region and when he and his disciples get out of the boat they see a man with an unclean spirit he's uh he's has shackles he has chains uh, he's been really a terror to that that uh, side of the town for a long time um, and he's not able to control himself he's demon possessed and so the man runs up to Jesus when he sees him and he he kind of kneels down and asks Jesus what he plans on doing with him Uh, Jesus asks the man his name the man says my name is Legion Um, and then uh, he eventually uh, begs Jesus instead of casting him out into um into outer darkness essentially to let him go into the pigs and Jesus lets him go into the pigs and when these demons leave the man and rush into the pigs uh, they rush over the cliff into the water well some uh, some people who were tending the pigs saw this and they run into town obviously because something has happened to someone's um, uh, someone's business someone's livelihood and so they tell everyone what happened all the townspeople come back into town and they see this man uh, that was a complete nightmare sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they eventually asked Jesus to leave. Uh, and then the man asked Jesus to stay with him. But Jesus tells the man that he should go uh, back into the 10 city region known as the Decapolis and just tell people what uh, what Jesus had, had uh, did for him that day in setting him free from the legion of demons. Uh, so that's what we're going to be analyzing uh, today, and I hope that you guys enjoy it. Uh, so Tyler, why don't you get us off, man, since you said uh, this has really been impactful to you. What stands out to you the most when you study this passage? So the first thing that stands out to me is kind of the ending more than anything else if we're allowed to start at the ending. I think this shows a picture of what salvation looks like um, far too often in the church, you know, or just in the world in general. The general assumptions of Christianity is that we are a religion that points to the afterlife. We talk about heaven so much, like, but what does that mean for us now? What does it mean that um, there's such a place as heaven? So we just kind of point to heaven as the means or the place that we know we'll be saved. Um, but the Gerasene demoniac um, really shows us a different portrait of what salvation is. Um, this man... Um, when he first encounters Jesus, is demon-possessed by 6,000 demons. He is not clothed. He is harming himself with stones. And he's outcast from society, and he just 
absolutely a mad lad. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens at the end of the story is all of that is re- reversed by encountering Jesus. Because of encountering Jesus, he is sitting up straight and um, with a right mind. He is no longer harming himself. He is clothed, and he no longer is screaming. And I notice in the story, too, after being saved by Jesus, he does not simply just carry on with his normal way of being, mm-hmm. like something has been changed, even to the point where he like begs Jesus to allow him to be traveling with him. So it kind of shows to me that what stood out to me is that Jesus Christ does provide answers for the situations that we are in and he gives us a way out of any situation that we are in, whether it be good or bad. So, yeah, no, that's good, man. I, I think this is a really um, interesting story for a few reasons because it, um, like you said, it is a great image of salvation and how Jesus delivers people uh, in the here and now from the things that are uh, binding them up in the here and now. Of course, there's a hereafter that's important as well, but but nothing's more important uh, than the present moment. Um, if you have a toothache, it's not any consolation that it'll feel better <laughs> next week because it hurts right now. You know what I mean? Um, and so Jesus comes to deal with our problems in the here and now, which will prepare us for the life uh, in the hereafter. But in this in this passage, it's almost like an extreme characterization of of human life under sin. I mean, just the way this guy comes in and meets Jesus. I mean, look, he it, it's almost like in his body there are these um, conflicting forces at work because he runs to Jesus and he's shouting at Jesus, what have you to do with me, son of God? Uh, but then he's also begging him, like, please don't torture me. So he's almost being pulled apart by these forces that are um, at the same time uh, wanting to be repelled from Jesus or repulsed by Jesus, but also compelled to run towards Jesus. Like he wants deliverance and freedom, but at the same time, he's like, I don't want you to torment me. And I think that's 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 kind of an image of what, if we were to look at what's happening on the inside of of each person, I think you'd see that at work where we have this longing for for God and longing for goodness and longing for things like justice. But at the same time, we know that in order to gain that kind of freedom, it's going to be painful. You know, it reminds me of a story in um, uh, in The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. There's a scene in there where a man has a lizard on his shoulder and the lizard is uh, really, you know, just suggesting horrible things to the guy. And um, an angel shows up and he says to the man, do you want me to kill it? And so they go through this like encounter where the man is saying, I do want you to kill it. Um, but every time the angel gets closer, he keeps on saying, but it's going to hurt. You know, it hurts. Don't do it. It's going to hurt. And so at the same time, he wants freedom from the thing that's tormenting him. But he also recognizes that to become free, it may be painful. And I think that's that's a really good illustration of where a lot of people are, even if they don't articulate it that way. It's a really good illustration of the freedom that people desire. But because that freedom may des- may lead them through something that's like the valley of the shadow of death. They would prefer to stay on the opposite side instead of going through and gaining the freedom on the other side of, of the, uh, of whatever pain they think they may be going through. Man, that was really good. That just 
proved how much I need to start reading C.S. Lewis again. The guy is good, man. He he had a way with words. Uh, he was really insightful in bringing bringing out truths in a way that's uh, you know he just tells a story, you know, and and he 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 enables you to see differently because he's framed it uh, in a different light. Um, another thing that's interesting in this story is when Jesus sets the man free, it's not like hard work, you know. Mm-hmm. He sets him free with a word, and we've talked about that before. That demonstrates to us that the salvation that Jesus brings, it's easy work for Jesus, right? It's not hard work. It's not like he has to, like, uh, focus a lot. The hard part is is our part, is in coming to him. As soon as we come to him, we discover that freedom is like the snap of a finger for Jesus. But it's interesting that he won't override our will, right? Yeah. He won't make us be free. But as soon as we desire that freedom and we come to him, then immediately he'll set us free, you know? Yeah, that's that's really that's really interesting to note too cuz I think this whole this whole like paradigm that you're talking about, you know, being captured by sin, but this like, you know, force that is keeping us from really being changed. It's like um Martin Luther had this phrase he said I can't pronounce it in Latin, so I'm not even going to try. But it's the phrase um, sinner, but at the same time saint, mm-hmm. essentially. Simul justus et peccator? Yep, that's I think, it. Is that it? Okay. <laughs> I I, I've read that a few times somewhere, but I think that's it. That's That was really impressive, man. Well, I am impressive. <laughs> <laughs> and very humble. <laughs> I can tell, man. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really interesting because I think... I'm going back to this idea of thinking about in terms of salvation, but we there's going to be times when we come to Jesus and be conflicted with whether or not we should lay this down at the feet of Jesus. Yeah. Um, the story is just so practical in the way that it's told. Um, and that's why I loved it. Cause I was at the time I read this story, I was conflicted with a few different things and I was like, is this something that I can truly come to Jesus Christ about? Is this within his realm of, the ability to care for things. Of course it was, but for some reason it just felt like it wasn't something I could come to Christ with. But this, this shows like the 6,000 demons, like analyzing the story points to something significant. 6,000 demons or a legion is the same amount of number is the same number as a Roman army. Mm-hmm. And that's like incredibly like you know it's like a powerhouse thing like Mm -hmm. nothing no single-handed man Mm -hmm. should have been able to cast out a legion of demons um so since jesus christ is able to simply with a word cast out six thousand demons it's practical in the fact that it shows who jesus christ is the power that he has the desire of which he wants to go to redeem us and that shows, like, really, we can come to him with any of our problems. Right. Because if he is able to cast out 6,000 demons, surely he is able to cast out fear or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Depression, any Depression. of that stuff, yep. right? And that's what Mark's gospel is aiming to present. It's, it's aiming to present this Jesus as the Son of God. And that's it. The difficulty uh, is on our part is 
It is recognizing that the person we're dealing with is the son of God that is able to cast out 6,000 demons with a word. Because if we were confronted with that Jesus on a regular basis, that would completely um, result in a paradigm shift of the highest order. That's right. right. I mean, if you consider the fact that the man Jesus Christ that you claim is your Savior and your Lord, not only does he have the power to set you free, but he desires to do so. Like that's his chief desire is to make you completely holy uh, so that he can present you to his father without blemish at all. That is a terrifying prospect. And, and, and I feel you, man. Like when you said sometimes you have things that you don't want to bring to Jesus because you don't think like, oh, these aren't things for Jesus. Sometimes those are the things that I need to bring to him the most. Uh, but, I, but, but at the same time, it's like, man, it's like the prayer of St. Saint, uh, Saint Augustine when he said, um, Lord, make me pure or, or make me chaste, but not yet, you know, because he realized like, man, I, I kind of like the, uh, the sin that I'm uh, living in right now, but I also know that you want me to be holy. So, Lord, make me holy, but not yet, you know, and it's, it, it really is an interesting prospect to consider. But another thing that this story highlights is how important it is to be at the end of your rope like mm. this man was. Because all the people in the town, you know, it's interesting. The only person in this uh, story right here that was transformed by the grace of Jesus was the one who was the worst off. All the people who were like kind of comfortable in their towns, you know, with their businesses and, you know, life is kind of going good. When they go out to Jesus and they see that this man has been transformed, none of them yelled out and said, Jesus, well, if you could heal this man, can you heal me too? You know, obviously, Jesus, if you can cast out the demons from this guy, I mean, we've been trying to shackle him down. We've been trying to get rid of him. Nothing we do to hold him down has worked. And now we see that not only is he clothed, you know, we hated our kids seeing this naked guy walking around all the time. Right. Now look at him. He's clothed and he's sitting still. Two things that we thought were impossible for this guy. None of them said to Jesus, if you can do it with him, then surely you can help me with my relationship issues or surely you can help me with a fear. But instead, they say to Jesus, would you, would you please leave? <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's exactly it's really mean. interesting that kind of the reaction that takes place here where the guy that we think is worse off is the one that's transformed. But it points out a reality that those people who were in their towns, they were the ones who were really worst off because they couldn't really see their condition and their need for Christ. So instead of being transformed by Christ, they're the ones that are truly repelled by Christ. And they asked the one who could transform their lives completely to get away from them, to leave their region. It's, it's really a frightening thing to consider, for, especially for us Western Americans who are comfortable in the way our Christian lives are, are, are lived is really a frightening prospect. I agree. That is a frightening prospect. Like I remember there have been times in my own life um, where I've seen people who like are actively changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. And do you want to know what will happen if they try to enter into their old friends groups? And like, you know, let's say they're a partier, but they stopped partying because they started to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing wrong with going to parties, but you know, and so what will happen is they're like, you're putting a damper on this party because you are not 
basically like your sermon yesterday. You are not valuing the same things that you used to value. Mm -hmm. But now you value the things of Christ, and that's not how we flow. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. Well, I think it points to, we've talked briefly about this before. We know that what what God desires is holiness. Mm -hmm. You shall be holy, for I am holy. Holiness repels. It's... It's holiness is like fire, right? Um, it's like bleach. You ever seen the children's moment thing where uh, they will pour, they'll have like a some water with a red dye in yes. it. Then they'll pour bleach and it makes the, the water clear. Mm-hmm. Then if you pour more red dye, the red dye will come in. But since there's bleach in the, in the um, jar now, it makes it clear. That's what holiness is like. It, it fundamentally changes anything that encounters it or anything it encounters. So people are right to be um, afraid of that which is holy because they know that, like if I hung around with Jesus for one day, I know that he would demand certain things of me without even saying it, you know, without even saying it, just by being in his presence, there's gonna be certain things about myself that I know Um, are not like Christ. And there'd be something about me that would want to break from Jesus from time to time, just so that I could be comfortable in my own, uh, in my own dysfunctional ways of living while having the awareness that Christ calls me to be holy, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so I get it, man. I, I get it. When someone changes in a radical way like that, I understand the reaction of those who are witnessing that change and wanting nothing to do with that person anymore and they'll they'll blame them kind of like in this story jesus took care of these town people's major problem instead of thanking them they say you got to get out of here (laughs) i mean can you imagine that oh man i can't imagine like just seeing i mean maybe i'd be one of those people like i I think i would i would have been thinking that was my business you know how many how many pigs did it say just a whole bunch of pigs did it name the number i think it says I'm usually used to herd, but I think that could be based on my um, translation. And the herd numbering about 2,000. Yep. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. That's big business back in that day. Mm -hmm. 2,000 pigs rushing to the sea. And if I'm coming out to see Jesus and I see this guy there, I'm thinking I've just lost my main source of income. Right. Right. I'm not thinking about the transformation. I'm not thinking about the this or the that. I'm thinking an encounter with a holy God has not changed my life for the better, but it's ruined my life. That's what comfort does to us. That's, mm-hmm. you know, it blinds us to the the real problem, you know, and the townspeople, that's what they saw. When they came out, they saw one problem solved, but a new problem has come on the scene. That's really, that's really hard to think about in all honesty. Because that kind of shows one aspect of the story. Jesus Christ calls everything we know into question, whether it be good or bad. In the sense of a community who sees a man who was once cast out from the community is wel- should be welcomed back in, in all honesty. Um, but shows the human condition. We don't care about somebody being healed for the sake of Jesus or being brought to, into wholeness because of Jesus. We only care about the systems. We maintain the systems that we always have. So what does this say to the person who um, is deciding that 
I am going to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm go that's going to be my main order of life is to learn to live my life as he would live my life. Learn to have his spirit and character in every aspect of my life. What does this story suggest to them about their expectations of of what life is going to be like after making that uh, choice to become like Jesus and devote yourself in obedience to Jesus? Mm. Well, I don't think I can answer that question by just staying in this particular story, mm -hmm. because we see later on in the Gospel of Mark that a mother comes to Jesus um, with her child who's demon-possessed, mm -hmm. and what could be land similar to this. Well, it doesn't matter if it's land, it's close to this location, because what it shows is that this man um, carried out his task of telling others about Jesus and what Jesus has done for him. Mm -hmm. But I think what this story can show um, is that once we start following Christ, we can expect wholeness, we can expect shalom, this just fullness of peace that comes with encountering God. And since we have encountered God, that peace never leaves us. It sustains us. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, this peace can kind of cause us to be set out from the community. And it's not because sometimes Christians are like, oh, I'm cast out from the community because I am, you know. It's a false persecution. Yes, yes, that's that what I'm trying to get to. Have, yeah. um, but what can happen with following Jesus is because since we operate so differently, um, it can feel, I'm assuming this man would feel like he was going to be welcomed in, but then being rejected could just leave, leave lead him to loneliness. I think that's right. On the one hand, he has been set free. On the other hand, he's still kind of an outcast because he's gone from one extreme to another, one possession to another kind of possession, possessed by, by the spirits of the evil one to being possessed by the spirit of the holy one. Mm -hmm. So one kind of possession to another, and it's, and oddly enough, the reactions are probably the reactions are probably the same <clears throat> in that his he's not welcome but it's for different reasons at mm -hmm. least in this in this space another interesting thing about this story is you know he asked Jesus to go with him and Jesus says no which is important to realize that when we come to Jesus he sends us in every manner of life, everyone who comes to Jesus will eventually be sent by Jesus. Uh, even his apostles, they were being trained to be sent away, to go. That's what apostle means, sent one. And he's sent by Jesus not to like live a life where he doesn't share the story. Because that's what we would assume. Like, man, let me just, I'm going to go to New Jersey and start over. You know, I'm going to go. Nobody knows me as Legion. No one knows that I was running around the hillside naked all the time. No one knows that I used to scream like an animal at night. I'm just going to go clear my resume, start off over there. Maybe I'll get married and have kids or something like that. But Jesus says, no, I want you to go and tell people what the Lord has done for you, which assumes that Jesus wants him to go and say, man, I used to be possessed by 6,000 demons, guys. I used to, you, have you ever heard the legend about the guy that used to run around naked? That's me. <laughs> Jesus wanted him to own That's that. Right. So there's a there's an aspect of vulnerability in yes. there that leads to powerful witness. And that's also something that 
uh, we as a church and we as individual Christians need to embrace. We need to embrace the things that we were delivered from because that's what makes the testimony more powerful. When we share that I was once this way, but now because of the grace of Jesus Christ, I'm this way or I'm becoming this, then people who are in this situation can look and say, man, if he set him free from that, then perhaps he could set me free from my own thing. But when we go and we share testimonies of what Jesus has delivered us from, but we, we offer a muted version of it, then it doesn't seem like the deliverance of Christ is that much. Suppose a man would have went and said, you know what, man, I just had some terrible headaches and Jesus set me free. Well, that's good. That's, that's a great thing. But it's so, it's, it's not, um, it doesn't have as much punch to it as right. I was possessed by 6,000. So the lesson is whatever it is that Jesus set you free from, own it and embrace it because it's a part of your story and it's a part of it's a part of your induction into the life of God and God will use that thing that used to uh, have you bound in order to set other people free just like you said the guy goes into the Decapolis a few chapters later we see that Jesus goes back to Gentile region and a woman whose daughter is demon possessed came who knows maybe she encountered this guy on his speaking tour and he said, I was demon possessed. And she's like, what? Jesus set you free of 6,000? I think my daughter just has two demons. So if, if he set you free from 6,000, he can surely set me free. But if he would have went with a muted story, she probably would have been like, well, he can only handle headaches. He can't handle demon possession, you know? That's right. Vulnerability in Christian communities is so, it's so important. That kind of openness and honesty is so important. It is. It is. Because if we're not being vulnerable with each other, um, if we are, if we only say, oh yeah, Jesus freed me from sin. Like, oh, like, did he free you from stealing a cookie from the cookie jar before you eat dinner? Yeah. Like being specific about our struggles and being vulnerable, like you said, it honestly leads to life because once a Christian is vulnerable with other Christians about what we've been through, it proves that we truly can come to God cast everything at his feet and because of that be shaped by not our own glory and crown but be shaped by his glory and his crown it also removes whenever you confess something that thing no longer holds you anymore but when you keep something secret then it has a hold on you right that's right but when you bring things out that's why uh i can't remember who it was uh, but one theologian said the devil loves secret sins it's the open sins that he hates because as soon as a sin is open, then you see it for what it is. It's silly. It's, you know, it's stupid. We can laugh at it, but in, in secret, then we think I'm the only one that does this, right? It's only me. I'm shameful. I'm not worthy. I'm this, I'm that. But as soon as you bring it out into the light, and this is why I really love the Wesleyan band meetings that I'm a part of because every Monday at one o'clock, we meet together and we go through the, the seven deadly sins. We just use that as a list to, re, to kind of analyze our lives. And then we'll confess like, man, I, I had an uh, explosive anger towards uh, so-and-so this week. And then, you know, sometimes we'll, as we're saying it, we'll laugh because we realize it's so stupid. You know, that's so stupid what I did. 
But if you don't say it, then you just, then you become an angry person in your mind. It's like holding on to you, but you bring it out to the light. You see how ridiculous it is. Then you hear the forgiving word of pardon spoken to you and you go out with the grace of God like this man to bear witness to the change that God is bringing about in your life. This story is really powerful for what the Christian life uh, looks like and, and what it means that Jesus came that Jesus came to save sinners. Amen. Amen. I'm thinking of this scene from Harry Potter. Um, it's a spell. And it's like the the professor, um, the werewolf, I don't remember his name. I'm probably going to mess it up. Is it Lumen? Oh, yeah. Professor Lumen. Yes, That's so my guy. That's my favorite character. He's in the one whole... of my favorite characters, yeah, too. One of you. It's me. He's my favorite. He's just one of yours. Yeah. You know I, I, mean? I can't have favorites. This is a thing of mine. I can't make a decision. So I have like a top 10 list of everything. Well, who's number one? If you have a top 10 list, someone's in the first place. Newt's commander. What's it? Newt's commander. He's in uh, Fantastic Beasts, Where to Find Them. He's a oh, Hufflepuff. Okay. okay. I, I don't think... Was did he show up in the Harry Potter series? He is on the um, Marauders map. Got it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Anyways, go. Anyways, back. but Professor anyways, Lupin, so yeah. so he opens up this chest. All right, and there is you know this being that can change its form into something that you fear. Yes. And then you say, oh, what, stupefy. What's it, what's it called? What's the? Uh, I don't know. Is it a a bu- bogart? Bogart? I think maybe. Okay. But that that Ashanti's going to kill me, by the way, because she <laughs> she loves Harry Potter and she can pass. She's like a Harry Potter trivia master. Oh man, I need her. Yeah, so she would know exactly <laughs> what we're talking about. But so yeah, it's a bogart, and they open up the thing. The bogart flies out, and you're supposed to say stupefy. Uh huh. And so that just paints a picture of me, like you know what this story is telling and what you're telling too. Like sin, seen well, it is. You know, it holds the cosmos in chains. You know, it just everything in this world, everything pure is made unpure because of sin. Yeah. But, but when we come to Jesus Christ with our sin, He looks at it, and just as a word as simple as "be gone." Or, you know, as simple as stupefy, Mm -hmm. he makes it into something so small that's cast out from our presence and his presence. Right, right. Okay, yeah. So in the in the book, when the bogart flies out at you and you yell stupefy, it becomes into some it turns into something humorous, right? And then you're able to cast another spell that will send it back or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. That's a great illustration of confession you bring it out into the open you realize look how silly lust is another great scene from the great divorce there's um there's a woman that's walking around in this space in this space like right outside of uh the gates of heaven and um and in this space you can see things for how they really are so this lady's walking around and kind of moving her body in a weird way and so one of the spirits uh, asked their guide, what's she doing? And then he said, oh, uh, she's trying to be seductive. Up here, you can see it for what it really is. Oh. But when she was down there, she used to use her body to get around in life. So down there, a lot of people would look at how she's using her body and be attracted to her. And, and then she would get what she wanted from them for herself. But up here you see how ridiculous it is to try to use your body to to convince someone or make someone do what you want. 
and it looks like a ridiculous thing. And that's what happens when you're like, when you're in the light and can, and bring everything into the light. Most things, the things that torment us and the things that we try to keep secret, they're really stupid. They are really stupid. They're, they're really dumb, you know? I mean, and if you just, it'd be great if like the Christian church could just be able to laugh at our sinfulness. Yeah. You know, that would be such a witness to the world. I always think about when um, Matt Lauer, remember Matt Lauer? Yes. When when he was exposed for all the things that he did, the thought occurred to me like, that's awful. But what next for him? Mm-hmm. I wish that I, as a pastor, could send a message to Matt Lauer and be like, hey, I know you're in the worst moments of your life, but guess what? A lot of people in my church have were once like you as well in some way, shape, or form. There's a lot of people who uh, once objectified people and did those kind of things. So, hey, why don't you come and join our community? No judgment, no condemnation. Uh, but if you're interested in learning how to see women in a different way, then come here and we'll we'll teach you how to become the kind of person who, like uh, like it says of Job, I made a covenant with my eyes to not look lustfully at another woman. We can teach you to have eyes that don't look to lust, but eyes that look with wholesome in- intention. But that would require a community where people are open and vulnerable yes. about the fact that I was once this way, you know, but if we don't admit that we were once this way, then the people who are that way still, they're not going to hear someone bearing witness to the delivering power of Jesus who set me free from 6,000 demons, you know, that's right. and that's why Jesus, I think that's why Jesus sent this guy away because he realized I don't need another guy hanging around in my <laughs> boat with me. This guy's story is so amazing that if he goes through this tent city region, the legend of him, you know, the legend had to have spread. That's right. You know, I mean, you know, people, their kids walked home from school. We saw Legion again. You know, he was butt naked again, Dad. <laughs> Legion was butt naked again. And he was running around screaming. And they probably used one of my favorite pastors, uh, Alistair Begg, when he was preaching the sermon, he said, um, parents probably use Legion as a threat. You better go to sleep right now or I'll get Legion to you. So, you know, his legend had to have spread throughout the land. And now imagine one day he walks into the marketplace. What are people thinking? That can't be. That can't be him. They don't even know his name. They call him Legion. That can't be Legion, you know. And then he hears them talking about him. He's like, yeah, I'm the guy. Well, what happened to you? Man, one day, you know, I was sitting there naked like an animal eating grass. And um, this man, Jesus, came. He just spoke a word and he set me free. He set you free? Like, yeah, man. He he spoke a word, and the and for the first time in years, I had peace of mind. That's all he had to say, and I think Jesus realized that sending this person back into his own community to tell a story is going to be impactful, and it's going to open the door for my name and my salvation to go into Gentile region because I'm focused on uh, Israel right now. But the mystery as the apostle Paul says later on, the mystery of the gospel is that it's for everybody, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And so Jesus says to this Gentile, why don't you go and tell your friends uh, what the Lord did for you and how he had mercy on you, you know? Mm, Yes. And that's that. That's why I love this story is because it begins with a kind of captivity 
and it ends with the kind of freedom that we wouldn't have thought that it, that this would have been the end of this guy's story, you know? We wouldn't and we don't even know the impact we that he had, but it had to have been amazing, you know? It right. had to have been amazing. His because of him, I'm sure the name Jesus began being whispered in Gentile territory. Yes, yes. And I think that's very powerful. Because I think what the story shows, like, you know, I like to approach the story thinking about Judaic purity laws back mm-hmm. then. It was totally unheard of to come in contact with a man who, um, you know, if 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 he was, if they were able to cast 6,000 demons into a herd of pigs... Like, just think of how many, how close they were to the pigs. So this man was richly impure because mm-hmm. he was hanging out in a seminary, cemetery, yep. not seminary. Um, well. <laughs> um, he was um, naked. He was probably hanging out pretty close to some pigs. And just like a whole bunch of other different laws I'm unaware of, he was probably breaking. Mm-hmm. And Jesus and the disciples, by being there, also were risking. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's one. That's that's very true. I forgot to mention that part. But the fact that Jesus Christ embraces him, the fact that Jesus Christ welcomes him into the fold of God, shows that no matter who you are, no matter what you've gone through, and no matter what circumstance you're in, Jesus Christ can take that situation. And you can bring newness out of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's his holiness. He takes it into himself and it comes out completely pure. Mm-hmm. That's his holiness. And that's this is such a wonderful story that demonstrates the power of God that leads us to experience uh, salvation. Um, yeah, man, this this was this is a great story. And I, I love let me just read what Jesus said to him. Um. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons, that word, those words in and of itself were powerful. The man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. So at the beginning, he begged him saying, don't torment me. At the end, he's begging him saying, let me hang around you. But Jesus refused and said to him, go home to your friends, which is gracious by Jesus. This guy didn't have any friends. That's <laughs> I mean, right. Come on, he didn't have any friends. Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. That encourages me to to do the same, to not to look at my life story and to see it in terms not of shame, right? Not of guilt, not of regret, not of things that I want to keep hidden, but to see them as opportunities to tell people. The God I serve is a merciful God. Mm -hmm. He is full of mercy and he can have mercy on you too. And so it says, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. So there's a little bit of um, the divinity of Jesus kind of hidden in here. Jesus says, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you. He goes and says how much Jesus has done. That's just a little nugget there for you people who always say Jesus never uh, was proclaimed as God. It's hidden all over the Bible it is. where everyone everyone is like, okay, it's obvious who you are. So I'm going to go and say how much you did for me because in you uh, is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? So it's just, this is such a powerful story. Um, 
I guess we've man, this was kind of like a um a dual sermon. You know what I mean? It was. It <laughs> was, we, man. I think we preached this thing, man. <laughs> I think we preached this thing. Uh, you got anything else to say? I don't, man. All right. Well, hey guys, that's our show, man. I really hope that you all uh, got got something out of this. Would love to hear your comments on this more than any other podcast we've recorded. I'd love to hear what you have to say on this. So, if you'd like to leave a comment, you can visit uh, www.modernmagi.club/club/podcast and just find uh, the link to this podcast on Mark chapter five, the Garrison Demoniac. And leave a comment, tell us what you think, ask some questions, and uh, and we'll be sure to answer them. And I think we're going to do more of these where we do some deep dives into different Bible studies and talk about how they relate to life uh, right now. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. If you'd like to support further or give us uh, a tip so that um, Tyler can have some, some Diet Coke while we're recording this thing, and I can have some coffee, uh, you can leave a tip. If you do or if you don't, either way, we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Peace and goodness. Peace, guys.